Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do at this time, let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hey, Gene. Hello, Patrick. How are you today, sir? Living the dream. Just living the dream. As always. How about yourself? <laughs> Well, not too bad. Uh, just uh, kind of keep juggling all these balls in the air at one time, trying to keep up with all the stuff that's going on out there in the drone world. I've been read a little bit about some of the stuff that our friend John Ruprecht is doing over there. So there's always uh, exciting things on the on the horizon. Yes, I just actually just jumped off of a uh, – we did a hangout. Gary and uh, I and Jonathan and Tyler and Bruce from New Zealand, which I'm sure you remember Bruce. He's been around oh, for I remember dog Bruce, years. Yeah. Yeah. He's always got good stuff to say. So that was really an interesting thing that's going on there with remote ID and some Fourth Amendment issues and other things. I'm going to unpack all of that, but uh, it looks like there is going to be a legal challenge, which is good. I think that's good news because I think that was kind of half-baked. Your thoughts? Well, you know, I went through one of those, and I think uh, it was against the uh, the same agency, wasn't it? Hmm. I wonder what happened to the lawyer on that one. Well, it doesn't matter. It was uh, it was dismissed. But yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting little challenge. And you know, as they say, when you when you get to D.C., it's you, you really don't want to know how laws and sausage are made. And I found that out firsthand. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, and that's why I just always say, hey, you know, the more daylight you have on the rulemaking, I think the better rulemaking you're going to have. I mean, you know, uh, we could, let's say, avoid a lot of uh, mistakes and wasted time and wasted money and, and, uh, you know, kinks in the program and whatever else. We had, uh, you know, SMEs involved. It was an open daylight process. These people would raise these questions before – Spent all of this time just, uh, you know, throwing throwing the spaghetti on the wall. But, uh, you know, the only other thing that I, I did bring up there that is kind of interesting is, you know, a lot of people believe that um, this RID thing was going to be the gateway to beyond visual line of sight. And I did ask them that. I said, you know, are you, are you prepared for these slings and arrows of, oh, you guys just, you know, kick beyond visual line of sight down the stairs, you know, which isn't really true. It's kind of a red herring because I don't, I don't believe there's going to be any – beyond visual line of sight if they did that scales uh, without any onboard detect and avoid system that's certified. You agree, disagree? Sure. Sure. No, no, yeah. There's there's gonna have to be an active sort of detection go on there. There's no way around it. Yeah, so the the, the notion and, and there's a lot of people falsely believing now like this beyond visual line of sight was like a year away or two years away, which would be nice. I'm I'm all for it. I, I just you know, I think that there would be better things in the R I D like uh, you know, baseline for well clear, baseline for you know, maybe visual acuity of the human eyeball, so we had something to work with, um for standards for this uh, you know, whatever it's going to be detecting a void system, I doubt it would be acoustic. You got guys with cameras and you're, you know, flying 10 pounds of glass around. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe it'll be radar or, you know, unicorn dust. I don't know what it'll be. But whatever <laughs> it is, they're going to they gonna certify it. And I think and that, and that's going to be the sell to the, uh, let's say, man stakeholders, your your AOPAs and your HAIs and the helpers and the rest of the uh, alphabet soup groups. 
you know, that's that's what they're going to want. So, anyway, I think, you know, I'm just waiting for that one. You'll have people, oh, my goodness, you ruined it for the rest of us. But that happens every time. So we'll we'll see what happens on that. I, I'm not really uh, – I, I just – I would like to – I'm very – you know, and I know you've been at this a long time too. It's just it, it, the, let's say the wrong turns are frustrating. Yeah. You know, but hey, whatever. We'll see what happens with that. That ought to be an interesting story. We'll have to follow it, see what's going on. So, without uh, further ado, I think we should bring on our guest because I'm, I'm interested to hear about this. I'm always into education, and I want to want to uh, talk to our guests about this. So, from Warren County Community College, we have uh, Dr. William Austin. And uh, we have Peter Miller. So I think we'll, we'll uh, bring uh, Dr. Austin on first. Uh, Dr. Austin, maybe you could tell us, for the benefit of the audience, a little bit about yourself and how you became acquainted with unmanned aircraft systems. Hello? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Peter, are you there? Yes, sir. You can tell us, uh, give us a little bio on yourself and how you became acquainted with uh, unmanned aircraft systems. Well, um, I've been with um, Warren UAS uh, since the early days. Um, I am uh, a UVSI top level three remote pilot instructor, um, and I do a lot of hands-on training of our, of our student pilots. I'm also a lecturer in photogrammetry. And I'm also responsible for maintaining our fleet, which is, I'd say, about 45 uh, land, air, and ground craft. And um, I also run uh, our summer uh, research project, which is taking the students out into the field to, to work in the real world, um, doing different types of uh, uh, photogrammetry projects. Interesting. So, you know, let's uh, um, just, just a little bit to unpack there. So you, you say you're a uh, top AUVSA top certified, you know, whatever that, and I'm not really Correct. totally uh, sure, you know, th there's been a lot of uh, speculation on that, um, what exactly that means or what exactly that is. Maybe, maybe you could give us, let's say, a, well, sure. Uh, person's a, view of what that is. Yeah, AUVSI has a, what's called a trusted operator program, and it's a higher level of certification for professional pilots um, beyond you know just having your your Part 107 remote pilot certificate. And it's designed in steps, uh, has three levels: one, two, and three, and they're geared towards uh, various um, levels of of complexity of missions. So um, it, it's a way to have a uh, standardization uh, of quality so that, uh, you know, the industry have a, has a standard to measure pilots. Okay. Well, I mean, that all makes sense. So what's, what's kind of, I mean, so you're level three, what, what's kind of, a, maybe you can give us a basic rundown of, like, you know, the, the different levels, just, just uh, you know, thumbnail sketch of each level, just so we know what we're dealing with. Well, level one is um, a, a basic level for for, for moderate um, uh, moderate level operations. It's uh, purely um, like academic, like a, you know, a written exam. 
Um, it's it's like a, a 107 on steroids. And then mm-hmm. you know, as you get into the other two levels, um, there's actual um, uh, you actually actually have to fly the drone. So you have you get tested with a practical flying assessment, and you have to fly uh, drones. Um, uh, you know, in 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 a certain level of quality. Interesting. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's standardized uh, equipment, um, ASTM, uh, NAST uh, apparatus, and you have to go through these different maneuvers, and um, you know, it tests you so that you're capable to do, uh, you know, more complex operations. Right, right. Okay, well, that's good because I, I think there's a lot of you know people. Are, hey, what does it mean? And uh, you know, the explanation is not. Let's say hasn't been available to everyone, so that that's good. I appreciate that. And uh, Dr. Austin, are you back? Are you here? Yeah, hold on. So apparently, we bought so much. We spent so much on drones. We only have one working phone. So it's a pleasure to be with you. I heard you before. Yeah, well, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm like, uh, I, I tried to get this deal rolling on three different devices, you know. So <laughs> fourth time's a charm, you know. So when, when you didn't hear me before, I was complimenting uh, both of you gentlemen, and, and you had asked me how we started. And I said, well, one thing that is apparent now that we did when we first started was hire Jonathan Rupert, present us, and be our attorney. So I was very happy to hear that. So thank you for that this morning. Yeah, no, he's, uh, you know, I, that's another, you know, it's definitely when people are like, oh, yeah, we've got to get an attorney. You know, I mean, okay, you know, it's nice when people are breaking stuff down, but if you're not an aviation attorney, you know. Plus, you know, he was, it's funny, he's an Eagle Scout, which I always joke with him about, yeah, or he was an Eagle Scout. <laughs> Didn't that preclude you from this profession? And we get a chuckle out of that. But anyway, I digress. So, um, you know, Dr. Austin, maybe, you know, you could uh, give us a little bio on yourself and, you know, how you got into unmanned aircraft systems, if you would, sir. Well, you know, we're a public institution as a college, so we have a board, and one of our former board chairs is actually a a manned pilot. He flies single-engine plane, and he called me one afternoon, and he said, I just saw this thing fly by me, um, these drones, Build something over at that college so when I'm up in the air, I know where all these drones are. So we went about building a pretty comprehensive training center. We have a drone race course, all of that. Uh, then I went about the, the 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 project of trying to find instructors for our program. And we have more regulation in higher ed than maybe someone who's doing uh, private training has. So that would proved very difficult. So I, I personally had to go back to school uh, to Embry-Riddle and study aviation. I had a GIS background, so it gave me a somewhat of a basis. But me personally, it was it was as if I was starting from scratch. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah, okay, because I was going to ask about that. I wanted to kind of understand how this got started at uh, at Warren. And so that was kind of what you heard. Or, you know, was, was there also, let's say, a um, – I push to do, you know, some, some STEM education. And I know, you know, this is it's a hot topic. I, I teach uh, the drone <laughs> thing, practical applications. And everybody's like, hey, we got to get in on this STEM thing and drones and, you know, practical application. And, and how are the kids going to get out of school and make money? So maybe you could go into that a little bit. Yeah, I, and and that was that, that clearly was one of the impetuses of our, once we had the, the initial 
can you look into this? And it was pretty early on when we when we began um, for higher ed. Uh, I realize the military's been doing this for years. So we began, and we, we began looking at, at curriculum aspects, and we started thinking about how would we do this, and what, what is the greatest benefit, and how do we market it? And we have a lot of STEM, obviously, as a college, but a lot of it's in medical um, and a lot of it is, and it, this is the great irony, because our society is always pushing STEM for women. And what we found in community colleges and in our community college was in the last kind of five to seven years, males have almost disappeared. Uh, they've gone down dramatically in enrollments and, and in STEM enrollments, too. So this, we saw this as a, as a way of... Uh, really, in, in many ways, competing against the video games and the other aspects of, of young people's culture that have taken them away, this is a way to integrate them back into education and say, we have something practical here for you. We have something that within two years, you can be looking at salaries 65000 and above. Um, and a lot of our students actually are hired before they even graduate. There's such a demand right now for trained professionals. Uh, that that we get called. I mean, we've had students hired in the first semester. I don't advise that. Um, let let us train them a little bit for you first. But um, most of our students who are graduating, as a matter of fact, I think 100% of our students this year who are graduating have job already lined up uh, for the day they walk out of the classroom. Well, that's that's what you want, and I, I agree. You know, uh, even in my my uh, experience with students, some of the best uh, drone pilots that I've let's say educated. Or women, I, yeah, I, I don't know if they uh, they got a propensity for it. I was like, wow, okay. I mean, you know, this is great. Um, so they do get into it, and uh, I, I find uh, that you know, it's a it, it's a great thing for everyone. I also um, agree with you. You know, let us let us train them first. It's almost like that uh, the Jedi thing. You know, you don't want to you don't want to go out too early. You want to make sure you know what you're doing when you get out there. But the the punchline on the deal. Well, this is always something I would tell my students, too, is like, you know, um, the whole reason that you're really here is to learn, um, you know, information skills, techniques, process, so you can uh, go out in the world and, you know, buy a house, uh, eat food, and all these <laughs> other things you want to make this living, you know. And it is, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. You know, that's what you're, you're really trying to do is here are the tools. Now go forth and, you know, prosper. And uh, it's a great feeling to see that happen. So interesting to hear that, you know, you have that much demand for students. And maybe, you know, um, you could tell us uh, what, in, in what kind of uh, fields mainly are, are, are these jobs in. You know, it's interesting. It's both piloting and maintenance. So we've done, um, we've done a lot of work kind of dividing our degree so community colleges traditionally give associate's degrees, which are two-year degrees. So what we've done is divided that two years into really one-year increments. So um, students get basically three degrees when they leave here, two what we call capital C certificates, which are actually a degree in the United States. So that's different than the certificate, like an AUBSI certificate. And then we give a, a, an associate of science uh, and applied science in this. And, and, and the idea is you will get one year full training in unmanned systems piloting. So for us, that is, that is air, ground, and uh, water. And you'll get one year in maintenance and building of uh, the, the, the 
system. So we will build, we'll, we'll take something like, like the EBX, and the students will fly an advanced drone like that as part of their piloting. And then we'll, we'll take like an Optera frame, and we'll buy components from around the world, and we'll say, can we build a better system? than the EBX? Can we build one faster? Can we build one cheaper with a better camera system? Can we build one that's both teleoperated and autonomous? And that's what the students start doing. And so, you know, to an employer, if you think about that, your price point difference for a system, it might be now $15,000 in savings if you have someone who can build or duplicate a very expensive commercial off-the-shelf system. So that's all part of the degree as well as the piloting, because uh, we're, we're trying to create the well-rounded employee for the industry. So these, are, these students will also get training in uh, PIX4D, photogrammetry, and, and, and all their related products, as well as ESRI and their related GIS products, uh, as well as going through CRM and fundamentals of instruction and other courses that would allow them to act in a management role as well for a startup company. So we're trying to create the individual that can do anything for the employer who wants them, or at least has the ability to learn what the employer needs, because we know whatever we know today in this industry will be changed within the given year. So our students have to become, and, and part of our education is, how do you become that effective lifelong learner? Because whatever we teach you today, we know will be obsolete relatively quickly, especially in this upstart industry. Right, right. Well, again, lots to unpack there. I, I like to hear that you're doing that. I'm, I'm like uh, unmanned. Uh, you know, I was into this thing when uh, a while ago where it was like land, sea, air, and space. You know, all of these domains um, have applications for unmanned, uh, let's say, systems. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad to hear you guys are you know covering the bases on that one. And I was going to ask that question. You know, so there are, uh, let's say, you know, several. Uh, different popular software platforms that people are using with drones, and if you you did any instruction with that, so are, can you know the students gravitate towards like you said you had a GIS background, you know, are there, there are students that are like gravitating towards that tract, or is it more of a like, hey, we're we're going to show you all of these different segments, we're going to run through all of these different segments as as like a module. Uh, or is it a little both? Can students choose and pick? Is it cafeteria style? What what is it? Well, yeah. So it's a little bit. It's a little bit of both. So the way we design this is, students can come in and they can say, "Listen, I don't want a whole degree." And and we have students with you know this is an interesting degree for us because we've I've had a student who's already had a doctorate. I have several engineers with master's degrees. They're all trying to learn this technology. They don't need an entire degree. So it's like this is the this is what they need. So pick these courses and here you can sit for these certification exams when you're done. And and we have that and we have for the you know for the entering person who's never been to college and wants the entire experience. We have that and everything in between. And it was designed this way to fulfill the needs of the industry and the community. So, you know, before we said we accepted students, I spent probably about a year, year and a half going to all the conferences and listening and not saying very much, uh, just listening and seeing what industry people were saying, what the FAA was saying, what uh, educators were saying, and trying to then take all of that and create something that would solve 
the, the issues that people were raising. And, and that's what we tried to do uh, very much here. And, again, we go from me having to go back to school to now we have faculty who are, you know, FAA air traffic controllers during the day, and they teach for us in the evening. We have airport managers. Teach. So we have, you know, when, when students get into this, they're really getting an in-depth education in the sectional. We're, we're, we're way past Part 107 and what we're talking about here in terms of their, their ability to, uh, you know, attack the material and deal with situations in real life because we're trying to create the advanced professional. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're putting together. I was on on a um, on a on a meeting earlier with uh, Jonathan Daniels from uh, Practice Aerospace. We're trying to put together a a a session for teachers because what, what we'd like to do is train high school teachers to begin to let high school students know about this industry though so the interest is sparked especially for stem much earlier uh for those students mm-hmm. so that by the time they get to us they're ra- they're raring to go so if we do have that employer who wants somebody in the first semester we have somebody we might be able to recommend at that point because now they're enhancing what they already know because we've helped train their their teachers. What we do at Warren is if you adopt our curriculum as a high school, we'll actually credential that high school so we can give credit uh, for free to those students who went through that. So when they get to us for a degree, they don't have to take 60 credits. Maybe they only have to take 45 or 48 credits, and, and the high school is able to prepare them up to that point. So that's an ultimate goal of what we're doing as well. We're just trying to create a workforce for the industry more than anything else. Well, and I like that because, you know, I keep telling people it's, it's not all, you know, altruism in my case. I like uh, there to be like a tax base so people are coming to pick up the trash when I'm retired. <laughs> yeah, so that answers your other question. How do people pick? Well, in, in every chance we kid, our instructors say, okay, this is how much money you can make if you concentrate here. This is what you'll get paid. So that a lot of them are picking economically. Well, that's and that's good to know, you know. Um, and so when you say that you're reaching out to high schools, I mean, you guys are located in New Jersey. Is it like, uh, are you are, are you reaching out? Is it kind of like feeder schools? Are you doing stuff that's kind of local, or it's like you know all comers? Or uh, what? What's that like? <laughs> so right now we're at about a 25 mile radius away from us. So we're expanding, expanding, expanding uh, to try to help teachers because we know that those edu- you know listen. It, there, a lot of people out there in education are like me. They, you know, we were in a different discipline. We were in a different – we might have some area that we studied that was close to this, but our education is lacking. And, you know, most people in the sciences, they're not aviators at the same time. So when you get it to, to this level, it becomes even more difficult because, as, as everyone who's probably listening knows, it, it's like learning a new geography it's like learning um, a new science in meteorology, and, and there's a lot to this. So, you know, being able to re-educate some of those people who will be teaching the next generation of the workforce is what we think is part of our mission. Uh, because you have to remember, as a community college, we're a public entity, so our mission is the public good. Uh, do, we, will we make, will, do we make uh, our revenue 
on off of running UAS programs? Yes. Does it cover our expenses? No, as a subsidized government agency, we spend more than we ever bring in in terms of revenue because we're funded by our county and our state as well. So it allows us to do things that maybe uh, another entity wouldn't be able to do in training because if they did it, they would lose money every time. So, you know, what I often say is if, if you're a private training entity, community colleges are probably in your community. Talk to them. Because what we know about education, we're not competitive. We do a very different thing. So what you want to do and you want to make a profit, you can probably do partnered with us. Uh, and we can help you with the recruitment, with the marketing, with the curriculum development. So there are some good uh, symbiotic relationships out there between private trainers and community colleges. And I can tell you, as somebody who served on our national board for community colleges, um, you know, the Congress has tasked us with getting involved in this, but many of us do not have the infrastructure or the knowledge to do it. So if you're a private entity, partner with us, because competing against us is impossible. We're the government, and our, our, our rates that we charge for classes are going to be much lower. So it's better if we partner together in a non-credit way. Well, and I think that's good advice because, uh, you know, I've been part of, you know, some of the uh, – robotics clubs at some of the local high schools and whatever else. And I really felt bad. I, I didn't really have time to help out as much as I, I wanted to, but uh, let's say the people that are teaching at the school have other classes that they need to teach, and this is at high school, and then you keep current on, you know, especially with the, the drones, all of the regulation, and even for my own classes, I'm changing the curriculum weekly. You really <laughs> have to be passionate about this and have a bunch of time. To, to, to keep tweaking the, uh, the curriculum to be relevant, you know? And uh, so it is very hard, I, and I do uh, sympathize with these teachers, you know? It's like if you're teaching a couple of different uh, courses or, or whatever and trying to stay up on everything, God, you know, you're, you're going to have uh, no time to sleep and uh, very little time to do anything else, but just, you know, keep, uh, keep learning yourself. But it is exciting, and uh, the changes, you know, Gene, has, we've, we've both been at this for a long time. We've seen a lot of changes. We've seen a lot of changes in the technology. Um, so what you're talking about, it sounds good to me. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you can talk about some of the different, uh, let's say, uses that you're teaching to or for. Yeah, so I'm going to turn the phone back over to Pete because one of the things he does is every summer he comes up with a bunch of projects. So this is all in addition, you know, so we don't charge for this. He just, you know, we know that the practical application aspect of this goes far beyond what we can do in a classroom or even in a practical flight assessment. So I'm going to hand the phone to him. He'll give you some ideas of, of some of the things we've done, which I, I think for the students have been Sounds very good. exciting. Sounds good. Let's hear it. Hi. So um, what Will's referring to is what I mentioned briefly before, which is uh, our summer research program. And uh, what I try to do there is to get them out into the real world to try to utilize the knowledge that they have so far and, and, and get some new experiences um, that you can't get in the control environment of, of the classroom or, or our flight training area. And a great example of that is uh, this past summer we um, we monitored uh, crops at a local farm, and um, uh, we flew a fixed wing drone um, like every ten days over the course of the growing season, 
and it allowed them to have to show up at the farm, set up the equipment, get things ready to go, fly that autonomous mission, and then process the information. So we were using PIX4D fields, so we were able to verify our data while still in the field. And one of the great experiences was that um, maybe halfway through the growing season, um, our, our ground modem just died on us. And, um, you know, the, the drone was on its own, and there was no way to reconnect with it. And uh, we stood there and watched the drone go through its processes. And um, it turned out that the, the drone performed beautifully. Um, it was a, it was a SenseFly EBX, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. And it went to a loiter position, waited to see if we were going to get our act together. And then when we could not con uh, contact the drone, it went to its landing zone, came in for a perfect landing. And um, that's not the kind of thing we would fake in the classroom. So, it, But it's something that happens in the real world. You have equipment failures. So um, it's just one example of how being in the real world is so much different than the classroom. And they got to talk to the farmer, go over um, some of the data, um, explain things, um, and, you know, and just just that real-world experience. Right. Well, that's, uh, you know, we always talk about uh, the rubber meets the road, the field, right, Gene? <laughs> It is, uh, you know, you can't, uh, there's no way that you can teach around being out in the field um, and, and getting that real world experience. So what's, uh, well, it brings in, it brings in like troubleshooting and, 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 and an analyzing problems. And that's a, that's a, a skill unto itself. How do you analyze a problem? How do you start with the obvious and, and work your way through um, and it, you can do it in the classroom, but it's simulated. In the real world, you actually have a problem and you have to deal with it. Um, and that, you know, that includes software issues. You know, why is this not doing what it's supposed to do? And it's, it, you just can't replace that. In the man no, side of can't. it, they call that uh, advanced decision-making processes. So, yeah, you got to be able to do those uh, advanced decisions, you know, on the fly while you're in flight. Yeah, it's it's can I preserve the mission? Is, is the safety issue the top priority? Um, you know, all, all that sort of thing that uh, you have to do under pressure in the real world. So it's it's great for the students. And uh, participation, you know, it's a summer thing. So uh, I mean, or do you, do you have? Uh, sometimes it can be hard to get college. Well, see, what was what was good about it too? It, it wasn't an uh, officially part of the class. It, it it doesn't cost them anything. It's here's what I'm doing this summer. Now that you have been through the photogrammetry class, who would like to sign up for this for this project? Um, and if they're available for the summer, then they come out and they do it, and it's you know it's a good deal. Excellent. And uh, so is it something uh, different every summer, or do you mix it up, or do you do multiple projects, or? Well, it depends. You know, we're a new we're a new program. Um, the the agriculture project required multiple flights, so it, it was one project because it, it brought us out there. Uh, I think we had ten flights over the course of the growing season, and um, 
uh, you know, so that that's one thing. But then we have other uh, projects. Um, we take the students out to a local airport, and we have permission to fly at the airport, and they learn about that, and they, they learn about the concerns there and gaining permissions. Um, we have someone with us from the airport who talks to the control tower before we put a drone up in the air. Uh, so they get that type of experience. We've also gone to um, a local uh, amusement park and, and water park, and um, we have we have um, the waiver for flight over people. So you know, it gives the students a chance to experience. Well, what's that really like? So if you're at an amusement park and you're taking marketing video for that customer, the owner of the amusement park, um, how does that all work? Well, they have to do a scouting trip and they have to decide where the shots are going to be. Uh, they have to have a shot list. Um, in my former life, I was an art director for many years, so I've, I've directed a lot of photo shoots. So I, I was able to bring that to the equation and say, okay, you need a shot list, and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to do this. How much work can you get done in half a day? Um, where can we put up the drone where we're not even over people, but we're still getting the good shots so we can save you know, the crucial uh, flights, um, you know, for, for later, or, you know, whatever the organization needs to be. Um, and that's a real-world scenario, too. Uh, if you want to photograph a water slide or videotape a water slide, you got your drone hovering there, well, you got to wait for someone to come down the water slide because an empty water slide is not that interesting. So in the real world, you have to time that. You have to figure that out. Uh, you know, so things like that. Again, it's the same principle. The real, the real world. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, it does inspire people to show up with all their batteries charged and their, uh, you know, yeah. either phone or iPad or whatever. And I was, I was like, uh, kind of drill that into the students. It's like, if you're going to go out on a shoot, man, you got to make sure that you know you've got extra, you know, uh, micro SD. You got to make sure everything's charged. You got to. You should go out there and do a site survey. Make sure that you're not geofenced or, you know, if you need to turn that off or, you know, there's all the, the whole checklist of things you need to do before you go out there, which a lot of them don't think about until they get out there. They go, well, you know, oh, how's the video? I didn't get the video. And then you say, exactly. well, I would exactly. enjoy your, you know, someone Well, I was a scout leader this. for about 20 years, and I found out oh, okay. that the, the best way to learn is to is to let them make a few mistakes and then they won't forget. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, you know, yeah, until no, you live uh, it, it's uh, not really in your brain. Exactly, and that is a good way. I, I kind of think the same thing. You let them kind of uh, go out there and, um, you know, learn some of those hard lessons, and then they become uh, more acclimated to being ready to go out there and do the job. And it transfers into uh, other professions. That's another thing I always tell my students, you know, well, maybe – you know, uh, you won't be the person flying the drone, but you may be the person uh, working for a company or on a production or whatever else, and you know the rules, and you know how to operate safety, and you can save somebody a lot of heartburn if they hire someone who doesn't know the rules, you know. So uh, there's lots Absolutely. to learn, and then also those processes also translate into, um, let's say, best practices or whatever that you can use in, in, in different lines of work. So uh, there's always something to learn. Um 
So are there like any uh, prerequisites for these, um, for this curriculum? I mean, you know, you tell, well, you know, if you don't have any uh, experience with either like coding or, you know, robotics or, or building things or whatever, this may not be for you or you guys take uh, all comers. Well, the, 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 the courses are built in levels and, um, you know, when you start at the, the 100 level courses, we, we assume you don't really know anything, and and then you know those become the prerequisites for the 200 level courses. So it's a building process. And you get a uh, what, what are the uh, the types of um, students that are let's say gravitate towards these introductory classes? Is it you know certain kind of people person or are they just like it's all walks of life and hey we're here to learn about the exciting world of drones yeah so this is will again it, it varies um it, it really does so you know it's, it's a fascinating thing because we have we have had people uh, i'm going to guess the upper limit because i never did ask uh we've had people 16 i know as young as 16 and probably people almost 80 if not in their early 80s uh, as students in this. So the fascination level is, is one of the greatest. Everybody's fascinated. Um, but it's not for everybody, as you, as you gentlemen know. This is hard. I, I like to think of this as one of our hardest degrees. And the only one I think is a little harder is probably if you wanted to become a nurse because of the regulations or more. Other than that, this is about as hard as it gets. And I think when people see unmanned aircraft the first time, the concept, because they can find them at Walmart or Best Buy, is that this is a toy, you know, e even the students we get. And by the time they leave, they leave with the concept of this is a highly complex robotic machine that has a value in society and economic value for our country, and probably even because some of our guys who teach the, the, the drone building uh, come up from the D.C. area weekly, and they're involved in the defense industry. Um, they, they're learning also that this is – UAS is an important strategic advantage for any nation that masters it. Um, so our students are leaving with a, a pretty well-rounded education in that regard, and then individually we take them and concentrate what their interest is. Uh, and they'll do that through the projects that they do, what they attend uh, extracurricular-wise. But it's really important to realize, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that, is as we get caught up in these kind of, these kind of battles uh, about what should the regulations be, we miss sight of the biggest point that we should be focused on, at least I think so as a, as a college president, and that is there are a lot of nations that are advancing way past us in this technology a lot quicker, and we've got to get a lot smarter about getting younger people involved in this, getting older people re-educated. We know we've lost a lot of people out of the workforce because of COVID. This is an ideal kind of learning uh, and career for people to be looking at because it's the career of the future, uh, whether it's aircraft, unmanned systems on the ground, it's unmanned systems in the sea, or it's the robotic uh, chef that's going to show up in your local fast food that's going to wipe out all the jobs that are allegedly going to be $15 an hour in the future. So it is important that we as a society start to realize what this technology means for us, the transformational aspect that it means, and that we get on the ball educating our younger people so that we have a competitive nation going forward. 
Sorry to get on soapbox. Nope, 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 nope. You are preaching to the choir. It's uh, interesting that you say that because I kind of, uh, you know, I've been hitting that drum for a few years. But uh, I think people, you know, this this, this technology, um, while some of it is complex, other parts of it are uh, make it easier for people to get involved with. But I agree with all of that, that, uh, you know, if you want to be, let's say, a world-leading nation, you, you have to have programs like these. You have to be uh, bringing in the young folks and some of the older folks or whatever, uh, people that are passionate about it because you want um, this type of technology. It's, it's something you want to uh, foster and build. So I agree with all of that. I definitely uh, would like to see the American aviation ecosystem have more participation from young people and there be jobs for them. And, you know, the curriculum that you guys are, are talking about doing sounds like it's uh, right up that alley. We're, we're almost out of time. It, you know, it, it just blows me away. Every episode, you think, oh, 45 minutes is going to be a long time. We're going to get everything said, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it just whizzes by as soon as we get heated up here. So before we run out of time, what, it, what's the web address where people could check out the program? It's Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, dot E-D-U, backslash drones with an S. So Warren, dot E-D-U, backslash drones. Okay. And, you know, people can go there and, you know, uh, but search through that and find out about the program and, and everything that you guys are doing. Currently, uh, you know, so I know I was one of these futuristic guys. <laughs> what, uh What's the future hold for for Warren? You know, I mean, you know, what, what do you what do you see on the horizon? Um, right now, we're, we've we, we've already done the extra, uh, architectural plans for about fifty five hundred square feet of brand new lab space. It would be the largest lab space for our college for this program, uh, which would have labs, flight simulation labs, GIS lab, photogrammetry lab. And then a lab for each domain of unmanned systems, uh, and then probably a good, uh, you know, three quarters of a million dollars in new equipment that the students can use. Because one of the things we do is we realize, as a community college, we serve anyone who walks in the front door. So that means everybody of every economic level. So we have students who would who would not be able to buy equipment on their own. So we have we supply that. We use Skyward from Verizon to keep track of where our drones are. And we actually, in the second year with our advanced students, we'll give them a drone to take home and practice with because so, we're able to monitor where that is through our fleet management system. So uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. So expanding that fleet. And, and you know, the, the hardest part about this, and, you know, I, I'm going to date myself in age, is when I first got into this, you know, because I'm the decision maker, you don't want to be on the cutting edge of the next Betamax. I don't want to be wiped out. So Pete and I are always uh, sitting here going, is this the one? Should we be buying this one? So that's, that, you know, if you're getting into this and you're going to have your own fleet, that's the hardest part, figuring out which system will last the longest and which one will have to be replaced the fastest. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting you say that because I'm always, uh, you know, how the students should, should have something. But then on the other hand, uh, and, and, you know, it depends on the hands-on, how hands-on you are. Um, you know, that some of these things, systems can be kind of expensive. So uh, it's just a, a, difficult down, or a difficult balance to hit. But I think that's interesting to know and that's good to know. 
Um, yeah, and, and that's something a public institution can do. Can you? Could, how many people in a private industry could say, "Hey, here's a nice thirty thousand dollar drone for you to try out, um, thermal drone." You know, we can do that because we have that. That's our mission. Again, we're we're very we're different than other training providers. Right. That's a and that's you know a, a high barrier uh, uh, you know entry for private people you know to buy this stuff and then have it. Uh, have something happen to it, boy, how it even, you know, you could be uh, out of business. So that's good uh, because I do think that uh, more expensive systems do offer uh, even more responsibility for people to understand. But anyway, okay, we're out of time. We packed a lot of stuff in there. It was really good. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on. Um, thank you for having us. You know, and I'd like – oh, hey, it was, it was my pleasure. And we'll, we'll probably do some other stuff here in the future too. But uh, thanks a lot for being on this week. Gene, I just couldn't even, uh, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. Just wait in the background until I get my shot. I got it. And what's wrong with Betamax, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I still have all the tapes. No. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, everyone, thanks for being on. And until next time, uh, you know, keep it in the air. See everyone later. Adios.